I'm Tess Viglund, and as we work, we're anticipating our futures. In the next year of my career, I'm looking forward to professional growth, learning new things, being proactive, being attentive to my trainers. The next year of my career, I am looking forward to stability. Just because I'm new, it's more so the what I like to call the rookie runaround, where it's like I don't have a consistent job. I'm just filling in for people left and right. In the next year of my career, I am looking forward to acing the upcoming promotional exam and getting a massive pay bump for doing the same exact amount of work I'm doing now. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That was Maya Menez, Nkosi Knights, and Liam Donovan. We spoke to them on the streets of New York City. Over the last several weeks, we've taken you through the arc of a career, from that first job to retirement, getting through failure, negotiating, networking, taking a career break, and more. And now it's time to hear from you. You've had some questions, and we've got answers from the journal's life and work team. What could a possible economic downturn mean for the job market? How do you learn leadership skills in a remote work environment? And we have the best pro tips our guests have heard all year. It's all coming up. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about all of the kind of normal, regular things that happen during the course of a career. You get that first job. You figure out whether to stay in that career or not. You experience failure and hopefully learn and bounce back from it. You meet people along the way who can help and who you can help in return. You might decide to take some time for yourself away from that career. And ultimately, you leave it when you retire. But within all those normal, regular things that happen along the way, a whole lot of change will happen too. And that goes double and triple in our work lives at this moment in time. We're coming out of two years of a global pandemic, which upended where we work and how we work. The power dynamic between employees and employers shifted significantly as the job market exploded and had us all talking about what it meant for careers in the workplace. Now, inflation is at 8.6%. The S&P 500 tipped into a bear market. And we've seen a wave of layoffs from Redfin to Netflix and Tesla to JP Morgan. So no surprise that you have some questions about what it means for you and your career. You sent them to us, and we're going to answer them today with two journal experts from our life and work team. Columnist Rachel Feinzig is a familiar voice if you've been listening to our pro tips. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. And Callum Borcher is making his As We Work debut. So glad to have you here. Very glad to be with you, Tess. 
Callum, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you've been covering what seems to be a, a fairly sudden shift in the power dynamic between employee and employer. Uh, less than six months ago, when we launched this show, everybody was talking about the tight labor market, how workers could quit, go get another job that paid better, offered more personal fulfillment, or they could ask things of their boss and get them. What does the equation look like now with a bear market, high inflation, and very loud whispers about a recession? Yeah, things can change quickly. I, I am hearing that workers are a tad less confident test than they were just a few months ago. I'm thinking of, uh, of somebody like Luis Caballero in, in particular. He's, he's somebody I spoke with who was part of this so-called great resignation, left a stable job toward the end of 2020. And he told me he had enough of a severance package to, to support his family for a couple of years. So he was really in in no great hurry. And, and he said he was seeing you know his friends, as he put it, writing their own ticket you know, for, for great yeah. new jobs. And then all of a sudden, he says he felt like the window was closing and he felt this new urge to, to go find a job. And he ended up getting the, the the package that he basically wanted, except he didn't get the remote flexibility he was looking for. So he's going to commute huh. 10 hours round trip test from his home in Arizona oh. to an office in California. Uh, he's going to stay over for a night or two, but he's going to have to satisfy this requirement to be in the building at least two days a week. Does this feel sudden to you as much as it does to me? It does. Yeah, it does still feel very sudden, although I will say it varies uh, widely depending on the business sector. You know, I spoke mm. with uh, a biotech CEO uh, up here in, in greater Boston, where I am, for example, who said to her, the labor market still feels every bit as tight as it did uh, a few months ago. But that's a very specialized skill set, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, highly paid life scientists. There just aren't that many right. of them to be found. Uh, I think if you're in a in a different type of job where you might be easier to replace, then maybe you don't feel quite as confident as you did in the very recent past. Rachel, I'm curious whether this rings true for you as well. You and I have certainly talked on this show about uh, all the workplace and career changes that we were seeing in the first, what, five months of the year. Feels like a bit of whiplash now. You had a great column recently about how the pandemic uh, made you acutely aware of how you spend your time. Do you think the results of that awareness could change yet again? It's a really good question, right? I mean, I think employees are grappling with this kind of these existential thoughts of like, what do I want my life to look like? And in a way that was easier to grapple with when they had the upper hand. And mm -hmm. now it's it's that against like, but my boss really needs me back in the office and I really need to support my family. Um, but I, I don't know. I still think there is like a deep emotional change for workers. There still just might be a difference in terms of what they give to their work, how open they are to like really disconnecting, you know, when it comes to things like vacations. I I just think that there still is a bit of a change going on here. And it'll be really interesting to see how that intersects with this new kind of economic reality that we seem to be descending into. Yeah. I mean, it seems like all this change coming out of the pandemic and now the pandemic sort of gone, but now all these other factors coming into play in this real switch. And it's this moment, right? I mean, people have been through a lot. There's the pandemic. There's still a war in Europe. Mm. I mean, gun violence is something that's really shaken this country. I think people are asking themselves a lot of bigger questions yeah. right now. And like I said, that still might mean that you can't just quit your job because because of this market, you're not going to find another one. But I still wonder if people will be making small changes. I mean, that's kind of what this column was, was about, right? Like the sense that a lot of people have had their perspective shifted, but 
we've heard of the people who quit their jobs, move somewhere new. What about those of us who are like relatively happy with how our lives are looking, but still feel called to kind of like just make these small changes, make the most of our time? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to some uh, questions from our listeners that uh, I think reflect some of what you both have said. Uh, And let's start in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Warren Ball. I live in Dallas, Texas. I think the biggest question facing younger workers like myself, you know, whether that's people who started work right before COVID or after, is what is the transition into leadership roles going to look like after potentially years of remote work at, you know, kind of the analyst level, you know, I think a lot of those skills in prior generations, you had years of being in the office and being around your fellow coworkers and your clients to develop a lot of those soft skills heading into leadership and kind of get the chance to watch and learn. Um, as opposed to, you know, in the current environment, I'm working on a screen all day and, and don't necessarily get that opportunity. Yeah, interesting question here about what happens to those leadership skills and leadership visibility uh, if you are of the generation that could possibly just be remote all the time. Callum? Yeah, great question, Warren. I guess I would say two things. Uh, One is if you have the option to get into the office a little bit more often, I would take it. What I am hearing in my reporting is that uh, this phenomenon called proximity bias is a real thing. There are well-intentioned companies that say they're going to do their best to ward it off. In other words, they're going to try not to favor the people who are in close proximity in the office uh, to their leaders. But, you know, human nature is is a powerful thing. You know, I I spoke with the leaders of a top 10 accounting firm, for example, who said, you know, our employees can work from home most of the time. But the reality is that somebody is unlikely to make partner coming in just just one day a week. So I think that there is still sort of an old school mentality at a lot of firms. So it sounds like Warren in your analyst's role, uh, you know, perhaps it, it would be wise to uh, still get some of that FaceTime. And if that's not possible, I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, go to cocktail parties or go go do other social <laughs> things, right? To like keep keep your, uh, your interpersonal skills sharp. So I think you got to do whatever uh, you need to do uh, to build those leadership skills that you're talking about there, Warren. I completely agree with Cal. I think people need to think about when they're thinking about whether or not to take a job that's fully remote or or where to live. You want to, I think for many people, especially those earlier in their career, you want to at least have some access to people, like whether that looks like they're bringing everyone back for an offsite every month or every quarter, or you can at least drop in when it's going to really be worth your while and you can make a big splash and meet with a lot of folks. I think another thing though is the future is definitely going towards some sort of a hybrid mess as it were. Like even if you're company isn't staying fully remote and many aren't, very few are also going back to everyone's in the office five days Mm. a week, no exceptions. Mm -hmm. As a future leader, it's actually super beneficial to have experience working remotely. If you can make the pitch that you know how to manage a remote team, you know how to lead a hybrid meeting, you know how to bring everyone into the fold, um, I think that could get you a job. All right. And uh, here's another question. And this is on something we addressed in a previous show on retirement. Hi, I'm Sky Winslow, and I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am a full-time student. My question is actually three parts. First, many older people, like myself, are coming out of retirement and re-entering the workforce. How do companies feel about hiring seniors? And can we expect our compensation to align with our experience? And finally, what can we do to make ourselves more attractive to employers? For instance, I'm actually in school to become a registered nurse. 
All right, let's take those maybe one question at a time or, or, or two at a time. Um, first, she's asking kind of how companies feel about hiring seniors and whether compensation will align with the fact that they have been in the workforce for a long time. Uh, any response to that one? I mean, companies, you know, especially legally, always say they don't have bias. Right. You know, that's that's true for some hiring managers. But I think you always have to be skeptical. I certainly, you know, in my years of interviewing, and especially over this last year, as I've dug a little bit into um, the long-term unemployed, I hear from lots of older workers who have told me about moments where they get on that Zoom call and they feel that they are being judged for their age. It's really hard. It's just, it's really hard. That's not to say that older workers don't get hired, or especially if you have an in-demand skill set. I mean, something like going to school to become a registered nurse, that's also a profession I've written about this year. I mean, nurses are in huge demand, and those skills can be so tangible. I imagine there would be less bias there. But, you know, for for some other roles where it's more about soft skills, I think it gives companies more cover in some moments to say this wasn't a culture fit. So clearly, uh, she's gone to school to become a registered nurse, a lot of demand in that industry. Callum, uh, just general advice on what to do to make yourself more attractive to employers? Well, you know, age discrimination is absolutely real. We've seen that show up in survey after survey. And, you know, our colleague, Ray Smith, uh, recently talked to several older workers about how they combat age discrimination. So I'm going to crib from some of what what they said, from people who've actually lived it and done it. I was struck by some who said they actually downplay their experience, Tess. Mm. In fact, one man uh, said he tweaked his resume to say he had more than 10 years of experience rather than the exact number, which was considerably larger than 10. But the idea was <laughs> wow. to guard against being viewed as like a know-it-all or, or too set in his ways. Um, you know, and another strategy that several folks mentioned, too, is trying to maintain a youthful appearance. So, uh, you know, Sky, mm. you're, you're training to become a nurse, right? It's just a very physically demanding job. And so, uh, you know, Ray heard from some older workers who said they found success by trying to stay fit, for instance. So they look like they're physically up to the task. We are not promoting Botox, though. No, the Botox I don't think will help. You know, you got to be strong to lift patients up and out of the uh, right. out of the bed, right? You <laughs> right. know, uh, may- maybe like some uh, bicep implants. Is that a thing, Tess? Something to make you look buff? <laughs> um, I-, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> One thing, Cal, your point about tweaking your resume, which is also something that I've heard and recommendation that I've, you know, heard from career coaches. But I think that goes hand in hand with compensation. I mean, it depends. If you just came from a high paying job and you think you can get that same compensation, that's one thing. But when I talk to people who've been out of work for some time, I mean, they kind of it's the same thing as like not looking too experienced. They don't want to be kind of judged based on the comp that they think people think they want, because at this point they just want a job. So this is just down to basic communication, right? As long as you can get through that first raft of HR screening resumes, right? I mean, in some level, it is sad, right? Like just on like a societal level that we don't value experience and age and wisdom in that way that these people have to be pretending that they're younger, they don't have as much experience or they don't deserve as much money. Amen. All right. When we come back, we'll have more of your most burning questions about careers and the workplace and how all of it fits together in this fast-changing economic environment. What's here to stay and what's gone with the tides? Rachel and Callum are back in a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. 
and every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Rachel, uh, I want to ask you a question uh, just for me. I know you've written a lot about uh, the return to work, uh, both good printers that work, yay, <laughs> uh, and bad annoying colleagues, which we talked about in a previous show. Uh, how do you think the current economic climate might change how we feel about that return? I mean, I think workers will feel more pressure. And in some way, it might be that employers just have the upper hand. They know it and they force people to come back. It also could be that you yourself as an individual just start thinking like, huh, it might be easier for me to like climb this corporate ladder if I go back. Like this idea of FaceTime, like it might it might actually mm-hmm. come from the workers if they are feeling insecure and motivate people to, to go back a little bit more as we kind of move into this new phase. I mean, people act differently when they're scared of something yeah. coming. Yeah. I don't think workers as a whole are willing to go back to the way it was. Like, I think people have really had a perspective shift, do really want more flexibility and more freedom. Um, But we haven't really seen exactly what that looks like in a recession. You know, who knows if there's one really coming or if we're in one already. But um, I think it's going to be weird. And I think people are going to feel more pressure. And I think in many cases, that pressure will amount to like showing up to the office more. Right. Callum, I know you've been uh, following the trend of, of younger generations looking for companies that that match their personal beliefs, that are mission-driven. I'm curious, if this job market does start to loosen up because of the economy, does it seem like some of those demands might too? I think that's probably inevitable, Tess, because we've already seen, even in a tight labor market, how some Gen Z workers have had to maybe soften their uh, you know, ideal employment scenario just based on the high cost of living, right? I mean, I thought that you know Deloitte had some really interesting survey data on this over the last couple of years, like a year ago when they asked Gen Z workers, well, what's your, your top concern just in life in general? They said climate change. Well, mm-hmm. well, this year they said it's the cost of living sort of makes sense, right? We have, you know, big, big inflation relative to last year. Um, and similarly, you know, the the share of workers who a year ago said, oh, I would be really picky about the kind of job I take. I want to work for a company that, you know, matches my personal ethics. It, it was almost half of Gen Z workers. Hmm. And then it was down to something like 37% this year. So that's still a big chunk, right? We're talking about more than a third of, of, of Gen Z workers saying, oh, I'm going to be really picky about the kind of work I'm willing to do. But you do already see a little bit of that softening. And it's it's hard to imagine that that wouldn't continue um, if the labor market isn't quite as favorable to workers. All right, let's get uh, back to some listener questions. From the Big Apple here, we have this next question, and I feel safe predicting that this will be a more and more common question in the coming months. Hi, my name is Janice Lee, and I live in New York City, and I'm currently a product manager at a large payments firm. My question is, should I consider a career change or a job switch during a recession? So is the great resignation, the great reshuffle over, kaput, finito? Well, Janice, I think you're asking a really good question, and I would encourage you to ask more questions of a prospective employer if it gets to that stage. Here's one. If you're thinking of joining like a startup or a relatively young company or really any company that is venture funded, ask how long is your runway, right? Like how much funding do you have to survive? Uh, I'd also ask if if the company has a last in first out policy, right? That's relatively common at a lot of businesses. And I guess the other question I'm wondering 
two is kind of just philosophically, is, is this the kind of business that um, goes right to buyouts and layoffs, or do they ask everybody to take a little bit of a pay cut to try to save jobs, right? Though there are different strategies mm. for, for the belt tightening when it comes to that. Yeah, I think those are all great questions to ask. I wrote a column when I got my job as a columnist here at the Journal. I mean, I was only switching internally, but it was spring of 2020. And my debut column was basically like, should you take a new job in the middle of a pandemic? Like, is that is that a good idea? <laughs> and I mean, yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to like where you want to go with your career and if the like if this new job gets you somewhere. And so there are all these questions that you can ask and there's research that you can do in the company. I mean, you should also remember like your current job might not be that stable. Like how will your current job handle layoffs? And so I think you just have to think really hard and think really hard about what your plan B is. I mean, we've seen companies pulling back on job offers, rescinding job offers now. I think you just always need to have a plan B and a plan C stacked up, but you should probably have that even if you just are in your current job anyway. So I don't know. It's hard to figure out what's going to get you ahead, but I, I think sometimes people need to take a little leap and I don't, I don't expect that no one's going to quit their job, you know, at, at all if the economy heads south. Okay, and one more question from a listener here about uh, how remote work might affect who keeps or loses their job. Hi, my name is Ben Berman, and my question is just how will the economic downturn in the next 6 to 12 months affect jobs like mine? Will people at home or in the office be more at risk of job cuts? So here we are wrapping up with something similar to what we started with, which is really a question of what remote work is doing to our careers and now it's a question of will that affect whether I might be the one who gets laid off? I mean, I think it does make you more vulnerable or you have to kind of go that extra mile to ensure that people are seeing the value that you're bringing and to make sure that you're constantly touching base, kind of showing your work, not just ending up as like an invisible worker. I mean, there's that last in, first out kind of thing with layoffs. Um, but I know some companies even have that. If you're working remotely, then you're not considered a part of this main office and they consider you maybe to have less tenure when they're going through the books. It does get tricky. I think it does put you in a vulnerable spot, but I think it is surmountable if you think really carefully about how to grow your career. I guess the only potential counter to that could be that if if some companies decide that as a cost-saving measure, it makes sense to shrink their real estate footprint, um, then maybe they end up having more people go remote anyway. But the trouble with that is that it all depends on like, when does your lease come due, right? Or when is it up for renewal? So if the timing doesn't work out, that may not be an option. I guess one other thing to keep an eye on too, I mean, if there is a downturn, then the number of layoffs could depend in part on like how many people actually did leave voluntarily in recent months. Uh, Attrition could take care of some of the need for downsizing. So that would be a good possible scenario for people like Ben. So clearly a lot is changing again, and we could all use some wisdom right about now. So in our pro tip, we're going to get the uber best career advice Callum and Rachel have heard all year. Stay with us.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And for our pro tip this week, we've kept Callum and Rachel in their chairs for just a few more minutes. Uh, anybody need a break? No, no, we're good. We're good, Tess. Okay. All right. Uh, so I want to ask both of you to think back on the year so far and give us one tip you've heard in all of your reporting that sticks out and could be valuable for listeners. Callum? You know, I, I got to give credit to uh, Stacey Haller. She's a career counselor at ResumeBuilder.com. And I spoke with her recently, and, and this tidbit stuck out to me. I think it probably applies to a lot of folks. And she said, if I'm a job seeker these days and I'm smart, I'm considering the business. Is it a business that just developed because of COVID? I think that's really a key question, right? Because we've seen a lot of companies that actually uh, boomed during the pandemic. And one of the questions is, is that sustainable growth or was it kind of like a temporary thing? And as they fall back to earth, they're going to have to right size, so to speak, which may mean layoffs for new hires. So I think that's good advice for job seekers. Look at if it's a growing company, what was the cause of the growth and how sustainable do you think it is? I think that might be able to tell you something about how secure your new job could be. Are we looking at you mask makers and uh, maybe Netflix? Yeah, Netflix is a great example, right? But we've seen others that have already laid folks off, right? I mean, you've seen Peloton have layoffs, right? right. Uh, which grew mightily during the pandemic. But as it turned out, some folks did want to go back to the gym. They didn't just want to ride their, their bike at home. We've seen Carvana uh, lay folks off this year. Again, it wasn't that people never wanted to go back to a dealership. They may be buying their cars online more often, but uh, the company itself said we may have overshot our growth potential. So I think that is a risk for some of the companies that uh, have had a great last couple of years. What does the outlook look like? So Stacey Haller, good advice in my view. Excellent advice. All right. And Rachel, how about you? Uh, give us the very best tip that you have heard all year. So this is a little non-traditional, but for those of us who are prone to overwork, which has been so many of us during the pandemic, for those of us who are prone to caring a little bit too much about their jobs, not having boundaries, the best tip I heard was from someone named Sarah Knight. Um, she had a panic attack at work years ago. She was working in the publishing industry in New York, and she decided to just kind of stop caring that much about her job. She stopped taking business lunches. She left the office by six. She hated these like blazers and heels that she had been wearing. She started wearing corduroys and sneakers. And the punchline <laughs> is it turned out no one cared. Like her, her takeaway was I could have been doing this the whole time. She ended up leaving the corporate world. She moved to the Dominican Republic. She wrote a book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a, you'll probably have to bleep out this word, Tess. Um, you get the point, though. And so her her advice was, like, just really ask yourself, like, look at the little annoying parts of your job and think to yourself, is this really a thing that's actually part of my job? Do I really have to do this? And certainly there are some things where the answer is yes. Like, maybe for you, business lunches are really crucial, but there's probably something that's not that important that it turns out you can just let go. And so she estimates 
as much as a quarter of the stuff that you've taken on over the years may just be an unnecessary time suck. And if you just just let it go, you will find more joy, is her promise. Rachel, I, I needed to hear that today. <laughs> Don't we all, Tess? I think we do. Rachel Feinzig, Callum Borchers, thank you both so much for wrapping up with us today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us, Tess. Glad to be with you. Next time, well, we're taking a short break for a couple of weeks, and we'll be back with a new set of episodes starting August 2nd. A reminder that we are always happy to hear from you. Email us with what you've learned. Our address is aswework at wsj.com. That's aswork, all one word, at wsj.com. You can also find us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and I'm at Tess Bigland. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is the Jeeves to our Worcester and is also our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.